everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 69 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and I am your host today as always. Now, today's episode, you probably already noticed, is going to be shorter than normal, but I'm not sure if you can hear. I've edited <laughs> my audio so that you might not be able to, but my voice is on its way out. It's going. I'm losing it. Um, I am unwell and my voice tends to leave when my throat hurts. So I'm taking my time with this episode um, and I'm going to give you probably about mm, 15, 20 minutes of commentary um, on something that is happening right now or something that we've been made aware of society wise. Um, and that was the um, situation with child Q. Um, if you don't know anything about that, then I guess you're in the right place to learn. This episode is all about kind of just educating people about what had happened um, with this case so far um, and also to kind of like raise a core fraction of what you could do um, to support this case and also things you shouldn't do because um, it's an ongoing case at the moment um, and I'm only going off things that I've read in newspaper articles. I'm trying to, to not go off things that have just come from social media without a verified source because um, I've been told that with cases like this that are still being going through um, the courts or going through um, different kinds of um, investigations, you can jeopardise them by putting out information that shouldn't be made public. Um, not that I'm privy to any special kind of information, but I just wanted to kind of collate it all in one place on this podcast um, and share it because it was a, something that horrified me this week, um, stunned me to the core. It's not that I'm shocked that things like this have happened, but it still hurts and it still creates trauma um, because it's just so harrowing um, to think that something like this could happen to a young girl um, in school in a place where she's supposed to feel safe. Um, and yeah, so I just wanted to talk about that case, um, pull out some of the the issues um, and also just to explore a bit of um, not necessarily theory, but some of the um, patterns in the treatment of young black girls um, that impacts them and creates traumatic situations and incidences like these. And at this point, I think it makes sense to announce um, a content warning for this episode, um, racism, um, conversations regarding self-harm um, and violence, and also conversations that might allude to sexual violence um, in a few ways. So just to leave that there, um, this content and topic is another heavy topic um, and I think it just speaks to the trauma that black people are kind of going through when having to relive and rehash the trauma that is being dished out to us um, by these states. So, yeah, that's that. And if this episode isn't for you, then please maybe come back to it another time or go to something more joyful um, and happier for this week. So Child Q um, is the kind of name given to um, a young, well, 15-year-old at the time in 2020, a young black schoolgirl at a secondary school in Hackney, which is in East London. Um, 
Child Q is a name given to her to um, protect her anonymity. This is not an exercise in trying to figure out who she is. It's not what should be happening right now. Um, her anonymity is being protected because she is a minor. She's still a minor, even though this happened two years ago when she was 15. Um, in March 2020, I believe. Um, and she was strip searched at school by uh, Metropolitan Police officers. And this was because they thought they smelt cannabis on her. Um, she was accused of having cannabis on her. Her belongings were searched first, her bag, her clothing, um, her black jacket and scarf. Um, and then obviously nothing was found. And so they proceeded to strip search her. Um, her parents, guardians were not told. Um, and there weren't, teachers had allowed this to happen. So there are two issues here. There is obviously the issue of the police um, because this was essentially um, an abuse of police power, but also criticism to the school um, and the teachers that were involved and there um, because they were, you know, privy to what was happening and allowed that to happen. And, you know, in a school, safeguarding is probably the most important thing. It might always seem that way, but schools have so many like things in place to safeguard children, whether that's designated safeguarding officers, designated safeguarding leads, safeguarding training. You know, these are things that you have to sign off on and say every teacher, not even just teacher, any like non-teaching staff member have to have done to make sure that children are looked after. And this safeguarding training, like I've done it, I've worked in schools before and it's extensive. You know, it covers so many different things, um, including, you know, forced marriage, um, things like county lines, um, spotting neglect or different kinds of abuses on children, um, just looking for different things that might be happening to them, uh, monitoring changes, noticing if they're not themselves, you know, all of these things are in place in schools, right? So for these um, teachers or, or leaders in the school for that knew that was happening and allowed it to, there is also, of course, criticism for them um, because that's not what is supposed to happen when you go to school. Now, the reason we kind of know about this um, is because in December 2020, three Metropolitan Police officers were placed under investigation by the police, so investigating themselves, makes sense, um, by the police watchdog, that is, um, and it was a statement was released, and this report was released, um, to say that racism um, was likely to have been a factor, and I quote, um, in that strip search of um, that young black girl. Now, this happened in 2020, it's 2022. Um, you know, this was obviously knowledge to the people that it involved. Um, it wasn't made publicly aware. And I think, imagine if going into that summer in 2020, where George Floyd had been murdered and Breonna Taylor had been murdered and Belly Majinga's case um, was being investigated and Shukri Abdi, um, they were all topic of, of conversation and there was outrage about, the fact that black lives were just not mattering in so many, so many situations, countries, places, spaces. Um, imagine if society had known that then, like I can see 
the reaction being markedly different. Um, but the there has been outcry now, um, and I think it's important to note that. Um, and I believe the family um, and the girl herself has have said um, that they are very thankful that you know this outrage has been there and the support has been there for them, um, which is clear through people speaking out on social media. Um, people making statements and talking about it. There's been a lot of conversations happening regarding the safeguarding of black children in schools um, at the hands of their teachers and the police um, and looking at racism as a factor, which was clearly um, a factor in this situation. Um, There was a tweet that was going round that said, you know, if you had a white daughter, would you ever expect her to go to school and be strip searched? When she was menstruating at that as well, you wouldn't. Um, you can't even imagine it. The fact that we can imagine and know that that's happened to a black girl, I think speaks very loudly um, about the function of racism, not only in society, but in schools. Now, you know, there's this case and this conversation about police um, and breaching their power and abusing their power. It's something that comes up nearly every week on this podcast you know if we had a pound for every time I mentioned the police the metropolitan police uh, that doing something um that breaches their power abuses their power like I would be probably a millionaire and I wouldn't need to to be doing any kind of work um now I say that all to say this conversation about poor policing tends to focus on bad apples like they're investigating the officers that were involved but it gets to the point of we have to kind of ask, like, how many bad apples can you have without realising that whole tree is rotten and it needs to just be cut down? Like, there can only be so... If you are if you have a harvest and you're reaping fruit and all the fruit is rotten, do you not just think the tree's rotten? Surely, when will we think that? When will society move forward of just investigating the officers and actually investigate the system? You know, I haven't spoken about it on this podcast, but Cressa Dick former um, commissioner of the Met has resigned or had resigned. I don't think I ever brought it up here, but that happened a few weeks ago. Um, I know the search for a a replacement is something that will take a while, especially because they weren't anticipating it. They had just renewed her contract um, in September. So, you know, we've got clear failings in the Metropolitan Police. This is just another one of them. You know, when will the system take account of what's happened and not just blame it on individual officers who work within a culture and within a system. And it's the same for teaching, you know. What is a system in place there? It's a system that British society functions in. It's the same system. Um, And it really comes as a big slap in the face because this happened in 2020. This would have happened, I think, just before um, the report, the Sewell report was released episode 29 if you want to know more about that or you can just read it um online you know that report said that institutional racism in britain did not exist and britain was one of the fairest economies for people of different races and so many minority groups have come to this country and thrived so like why can't all of them that's what that report said people that supported that report have been awfully quiet in this situation where we have a young girl who has been traumatised to the point of self-harm, of depression. And I quote, she said, 
Um, I can't go a single day without wanting to scream, shout, cry or just give up. I don't know if I'm ever going to feel normal again. But I do know this can't happen to anyone else ever again. Such a strong resolve to make sure that no other young girls, young people go through this. Yet her life has been completely turned upside down, traumatised. She would have been doing GCSEs, I think, at that at that age. She was taken out of going into an exam at that time in school. The last thing on your mind is being abused by the police when you're in that kind of mindset and state <laughs> as a child. Now, there's a few other things to pull out of this. Kemi Badenoch, who is one of the most vocal advocates against critical race theory. <laughs> um, but she said that the backlash, the public backlash, shows that this country cares about ethnic minorities. I couldn't think of a stranger take, if I'm honest. I don't know how you can say that the backlash shows that people care. Like, the fact that it happens shows that people don't care. So, you know, I know both things... Two things can be true at once, but I'm not sure that's the angle I would take as a politician, um, having heard this story. Um, That is to say, though, I've taken that as a quote, probably out of context, um, so let's not condemn anyone for their comments, but, you know, I can't think of anything more tone-deaf. Also... Another thing to think about in this situation is the adultification of black girls specifically. We could talk about black children, but we'll talk about black girls because that's what's happening here. Um, When I heard about this story, that was kind of the first thing that came to mind. Treating black girls, black children as if they're adults. She was strip searched like she was an adult with no parental consent. They approached her and treated her like a fully grown adult and she's a child. Even in some of the reports, their reports will say um, a young woman. She's not a young woman. She's a child. She's 15. She's a little girl. She's a baby. And I say that not much older than her, but she's a kid. Like, how can you report and say young woman to make it sound better? Language matters. It's important. She's not a young girl. She's not a, sorry, a woman, a lady. She's a child. She's 15. She's a little kid. Do you know what I mean? It just, oh, the language. Um, and it's, I couldn't find examples of the UK, and I don't like to conflate the US and the UK. It's two different places, but two stories came to mind, and I wish they didn't, but they did, and I'll share them. 2019, a six-year-old girl called Kaya Roll threw a tantrum at school. Um, I think that would be like primary school. She's six. Um, she was handcuffed, put in a police car, and her mugshots and fingerprints were taken at the police station. She was six. She was throwing a tantrum. Six years old. 2012, going further back, Celicia Johnson, another six-year-old, would ha- was handcuffed, taken to prison, and charged with battery and unruly juvenile behaviour. Six years old. How can that be possible? Like, how does that make sense? You know, without telling parents, they were in school, in the care of their teachers, 
they threw both of them um, through a tantrum. Um, you know, probably, I can assume, six-year-old tantrums look like crying, screaming, maybe throwing themselves on the floor, throwing things. But at six years old, why are they being treated as adults and being arrested and fingerprinted? It's the same mindset, the same problem of treating young black girls as if they're grown adults, labelling them as aggressive, hypersexualizing them. It's all part of the same problem that leads to things like this. Um, the new series of Top Boy has come out, if anybody's watching, but there's literally an episode I watched yesterday and it's Little Sims's character. She takes one of her neighbours and friends to um, a detention centre because they want to deport her. Um, and she simply is in the, in the place, I think it's a detention centre or a processing place. And she asks the woman, you know, just like, why? Like, why her? Why Why do you want her? She's lived and worked in the country for, I think it's like nine, nine or 12 years. She's paid her taxes. She's had children here. You know, she's done everything right. Um, she's worked legally. Like, why is this happening? And the, the officer... Um, detention officer or whoever says like stop raising your voice speak to me less like less aggressively like why are you talking to me like that and she's literally the character responds like I'm not raising my voice and or instead of actually addressing the question she has she tone polices her you know stop raising your voice at me I'm not being rude to you why are you being rude to me she wasn't she's asking why her friend's been deported when she's been here for so long um and it's all just part of the same you know, the same problem. And I don't know, like, addressing each issue, issue by issue, is getting tiring when there's just a system in place that just needs to be dismantled. Um, there's not much more to say about how horrific the situation is. I think, surely, that should be understood. That a 15-year-old girl menstruating especially, but even without should not be strip-searched in school. Nobody should allow that. Um, a spokesperson for Black Lives Matter UK said in response to that report that's come out, um, and this is a Hackney Council report, um, they've said, once again, we're reminded of the fact that the police are the perpetrators and there are no lengths they wouldn't go to to inflict harm on vulnerable people. The horrific strip-search of a black girl at school is a clear example of why police should not be in places of education, while politicians have recently called for more police officers to be stationed in schools across the capital. Children are being traumatised in spaces that should be safe. The girl and her family are suing um, the Metropolitan Police for their treatment of her and this whole situation. Um, so, you know, whilst that goes underway and lawyers and teams of people, I'm sure, work on that case we all wait to see um kind of what occurs as a result of this um you know whilst we hope it won't just be empty apologies because that's all we've had so far it will be arrests it will be changes it will be legislation that impact the system and you know actually make a concerted effort to stop things like this happening again and again um someone released the number of strip searches that the police do on children um, and the numbers were harrowing, disproportionately impacting black children, of course. Um, but even so, the numbers are very high and I think rising. And that is scary. So in the meantime, um, what can you do? Well, you've listened to this episode, I hope. 
maybe you didn't know about this before and now you know. Um, and now we know we've got to act. So I believe there have been this weekend um, protests um, in Hackney and around London and also in Manchester, I think, as well. Um, and I'm sure in other places too in support of Child Q. Um, you know, if they are happening in following weeks, take part in those. Um, you can write to your MP. You can write to um, to ensure things like this aren't happening where you live, maybe. Um, I'm not sure. I can't say if this doesn't happen to other people in other places and hasn't happened. I'm sure there are families sitting there thinking, wow, we've had a similar experience. Like, I pray to God not, but you just don't know, do you? Um, so, yeah, you know, putting some pressure on your MPs. You voted them in, or you might not have, um, but they're there representing you. So make sure this is something that is going to be spoken about um, in Parliament and that, you know, these things will remain on the agenda. Um, so, yeah, write some letters, write some emails. Also, um, taking an active role in local schools in your area. Now, not everyone has time for this, um, understandably, but, you know, you can become a governor. It's a voluntary role. I don't believe it takes up too much time. Um, I think attending meetings and checking on the progress, but, you know, when, if, God forbid, situations like this happen again, um, you know, you can kind of be in place or also, you know, writing and supporting schools and writing policies against things like this. Um, to make sure this stuff doesn't happen. Um, also, if you have children, maybe, um, you know, checking in on them and seeing what's happening in their schools and putting pressure on their schools if there is a culture of, of discrimination or racism. You know, it's really easy to kind of just float through school and not really realise these things could be happening, and rightly so, because people are busy and you've got to work and there's a fuel crisis and an energy crisis and everything else on top of it um but you know anytime you do have to just make sure in your community or your area or your spheres of influence um you know these things won't and can't happen um that's the kind of best way to use your time um speaking about it on social media um calling you know it's a people's attention um that helps these things cannot happen again they just cannot um they absolutely cannot like, it's beyond me that it happened, but it simply cannot happen again. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode and putting up with my voice or lack of. Um, I hope you have taken something from this episode, you know, beyond being traumatised. Um, but it was something that we had to, I think, address um, and shed light on. So thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the History Hotline. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend to tell a friend. To continue the conversation about black history, head over to our social media platforms at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter.